welcome back to the Hustle Podcast. Today I'm here with my new friend Desiree Garcia. Desiree, how's it going? It's going great. Hello. <laughs> it's good to see you again. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Desiree actually stopped by the studio to do this in person. So it's a really special treat to have someone here versus doing it over Zoom. It's Thank nice you. to see people in person. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. So um, you and I met over Twitter. Yeah. And you wrote this really awesome article that we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, why don't we uh, learn a little bit about you? Let me read a few words about Desiree, and then, <laughs> then, then she can uh, say a little something. Uh, she's a, des- a senior designer at Automatic, the company behind WordPress, and most recently Tumblr. Their goal is to democratize publishing so that anyone with a story can tell it. She's also the, an editor at A List Apart, a webzine that explores design, development, and uh, meaning of web content, with a special focus on web standards and practices. So handing it over to you, tell us about Desiree. So I'm, I'm a designer. I got my start in the web community. Well, let me, let me take it back. I, I live in Austin, Texas, but I was born and raised in Santa Ana, California. So that was where my parents ended up when they came over to the U.S. from Mexico in the mid-80s. Okay. Uh, most of my family is still in Mexico, but I, I got my start making web layouts when frames were cool. Like iframes and stuff like that? You remember this? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So that's how I got my start. And then I went to school for psychology. Totally not, not thinking twice about the layout thing. But I ended up working at a web agency when I was in school because I had to work to get through college. And working at that agency would end up being one of the biggest blessings in my life. Since then, I, I've worked in-house most, mostly. I worked in D.C. for most of my 20s. I ended up in D.C. after school and I worked at one of the agencies there, the one that Elizabeth Warren started. Um, okay. And then I moved to Austin because my husband's from Austin and we wanted to be closer to family. And so I took a job at IBM. So you moved to Austin. That was you're doing it for family kind of move. That was like one of the first, okay, I'm going to settle down kind of thing. Yeah. But DC was awesome. So when I moved here, I specifically wanted to work on the Watson team over at IBM. So I went from working in the government, so on government stuff, financial transparency, to AI and machine learning. So it was kind of like a big switch. Um, but after doing that for a few years, I, I, I guess I got existential a little bit about the industry. I started thinking a lot about how what we designed, as de- what we're designing, how we're designing, what we hold up as the best design today. And as a result of that discernment, I ended up in the role that I'm at now at at Automatic, which happens to be the parent company of WordPress. So over the course of like 10 to 15-ish years, I went from having professors and people telling me that I needed to stop blogging and stop making websites if I wanted to be taken seriously, like as a psychologist or as an academic to working on the very thing that runs <laughs> <laughs> to working on the very thing that runs like 35% of the of the websites on the internet including most of its blogs. So the irony is not lost on me, but I didn't I didn't pick for this to be my journey or anything like that. The web just changed so much during that time that I'm just really grateful that it worked out. 
and that my nerd side hustle is definitely a legit job that apparently a lot of people want now. So I love being a designer. I think it's a great fit. It makes perfect sense. And I'm just glad that it worked out. Awesome. I have a couple questions for you. How have you found that your psychology degree has helped in your design career? Oh, my God. Because uh, I imagine that has to be very useful. All the time. And it used to be that you had to kind of make it, you had to really sell it. And I started off as a, as a web developer, a web designer. But then I moved into UX because I was, I was fine as a web designer. I, was, I wrote code that was fine. But I was better as a UXer once that started, you know, like picking up steam. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the psychology kicks in when you start looking at user behavior, customer behavior, customer emotions, anything that's emotions, behavior, beliefs, thoughts, anything in your head, training, learning how to, uh, teaching a person how to use a product or even a website, all that psychology. But it gets even cooler when you look at like the interpersonal aspect of a job, team dynamics. If you're like, if you work in, a, in an agency, I imagine a lot of it has to do with client relations and things like that. But so much of this job is about people. That's awesome. I'm going to save my other question for later. Yeah. I kind of rambled there a little bit. No, no, that's amazing. Uh, I can like, yeah, rambling. I, I normally, I practice because I've had to like practice like selling this to people like, Hey, look, I don't have a design degree, but I can do the work just fine. <laughs> um, and even better, I have like this, like practice, like in the shower speech, right. but that's not what I said right now. That's okay. It's but totally we're going to move on. Awesome. Yes. We're gonna move All right. On. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> so, okay. So you have been writing a lot of content. I didn't realize that till today. I, I saw something that you wrote and you posted on Twitter and on, on like a Sunday. And I read, I read this article and the first thing that I was, I went to my wife and I was like, you have to read this article. <laughs> and my wife's like, Oh, I've read some of her other articles Aww. too. And I was like, we, I think we got to talk about this on the hustle podcast. Aww. And uh, today when I was uh, trying to look for that article, I was trying to find it on your blog. And I was like, what? But what? there's like, <laughs> where is this thing? And it's like, uh, apparently you've been you've been doing a, a blog every. What, what are you doing? I'm doing one of those hundred day projects. Okay. I started one when I was home on maternity leave with my second baby because she was born in the middle of the Texas summer, which, as you know, is terrible. And so with a newborn, you can't like go out and do you know your usual thing. And I'm personally a very outdoorsy person, mm -hmm. so I went from like, I don't know working out before I went into labor to being shut in for weeks. Yeah. So I, I tried to write every day for a hundred days, partly not because I want to like accomplish something and say like, I wrote a hundred things. It was more because like I said, I got existential about the web a while back. And, and for me, I, blogging was such a big part of how I ended up doing this kind of work that I, just really missed it. I miss the old internet. I know that it's gone. And I know that the type of work that I started off doing, which is still like to this day, the type of work that probably gives me the most joy. I know it's gone it, and it's okay. Um, but I just wanted to get some of it back and start blogging. So I picked that and, and it's been all right. Like I've, I've missed a few days for sure. But I think we're going to end up being like at like sixty posts out of a hundred. That's me, awesome. That's fine. R real quick, what was it? You what do you? I'm curious to see if we feel the same way about something. 
What is it that you miss about the old wet? Well, for one, did, did you ever keep a blog? I always wanted to, and I've... And for years, I had a project to re- design my blog, but uh-huh. I could never, I could never uh-huh. finalize the design of it. Uh-huh. So I never. Yeah, that's yeah. that's like that's uh, such a classic web designer thing to say. I could never f- finalize the design <laughs> because I didn't get in. I didn't get into blogging for writing. I got into it because I, I needed like something to, like a sandbox for for web design. And that was an easy way to do it. It's like you kept a blog. That was like your web content. That was your web content, like your blog. Yeah. But the thing that I was really, really like getting into was the layout. So I would yeah. swap out my layout like every two weeks. Yeah. Someone featured an interview with me and asked me about if I could transport in time, where would I go? And I, and I had a similar answer. I was like, well, I would go to somewhere between like 1997 and 2002 where like, where the web was just a experimentation place and everything was unique before patterns. Like I love usability and UX design. Don't get yeah, me wrong. For but sure. I, I do also miss those days. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this article. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the name of this article is the Kobayashi Maru. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Kobayashi Maru. For those of you that are not Star Trek nerds, the Kobayashi Maru is a fake simulated mission that in Star Trek, Starfleet Academy, all its cadets have to go through. So you go through this academy to become an officer, right? And explore space and shit. Uh, to graduate, you have to pass this assignment. It's a hard mission where the assignment is to reach a ship that's stranded holding a bunch of innocent civilians. The idea is that you're going to rescue them, except that the mission is intentionally designed to fail. You're never going to, like you're never going to get out of live yourself or you're never going to get those civilians out alive. Or even if you do, you're going to get killed. (laughs) Like out of nowhere, like uh, the enemy's gonna come and, and like and like shoot you start you down. a war or something. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's specifically not about whether or not a person can pull it off and win. It is about what a person does when they're not gonna win. So you put someone under pressure, or you put someone under a situation that is imperfect, and you watch them make choices, or you watch them break down, or whatever. And the academy puts so much into this type of assignment. Because they use it to figure out like your leadership potential, your decision making, your delegation, all of those things that have nothing or very little to do with how well you can pilot a starship, right? And so you will have people that just like go in <laughs> like crazy and they go like, ah, I'm going to, you know, get in really fast and get them all out and they get blown up. Mm-hmm. And uh, or you'll have people that are just like so fanatically into themselves and like their skill that they believe that they're going to win like that 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 somehow they're going to crack it and let's say that they do but then they start a war and then they're like well you know i that's your problem or then you have people who like you know i guess you could say that they might you know save people but also save their crew, but like sacrifice themselves. And what does that say about who they might be as a leader? And so depending on how you perform through this thing, that determines like what 
what you get assigned as as an officer, you know, like what okay. your job becomes basically. So what are the what are the options again? Like you you can either you die. <laughs> you just die. So um do you do you have the ability to accept the mission or you have to, you just you have to make a decision? You must take the decision because okay. it's life. Like it's it's a parallel for life. You're yeah. like let's say like we can weave in and out about like how this has to do with design, right? Yeah. You're going to get a design project or a problem or an assignment or a client that you're not going to like. And you can't just say like I don't want to work on this. Right. Th- th- that's the reason why I asked that question yeah. because in your in your follow up on the, at the end you said well you, you had a extra thoughts well maybe you could say no to the project mm-hmm. but not everyone gets to do that like only the, the owner of the business or the business of you like not every designer has the ability mm-hmm. to do that yeah so just to just to help set some context here like in your article you explain this dilemma and this concept from Star Trek and you you shed you talk a little bit about your experience with projects and a little bit, you don't go into too much detail. Can you give us an idea, can an example of a, of a project, either the project that you were referencing that you were on or an example project, just so we can uh, unpack that a little bit more. Uh, sure. It, it's not so much like an, a specific project as it is uh, a situation that I think all designers are going to find themselves in at one moment, uh, at one point or another in the types of jobs that I've had, I've always worked on, messy, complex problems. So in government, not used to having its own in-house design team, for example. If you take something like, hey, uh, the housing crash of 2009 had, you know, how do we fix that? How do we keep that from not happening again? That's a messy design problem. Mm -hmm. If you like try and like smash that problem into like a prescribed design process, it's probably not going to fit. And it's probably not going to work out. So the parallels I was I was drawing upon or like what I was reflecting on is just like years of being in situations where design definitely added some sort of value, but not in the sense of like we made some mock-ups and we built an app and it fixed everything. Right. It was more of like day-to-day you had to build a relationship with people on the other side of the table people that had never worked with designers before and probably thought we were full of shit. And to some extent we were, but it's more like a long-term process of building trust and relationship and camaraderie and an alliance. And then as a team, as a crew, that's really when things started to change, but it was all a long game. If you wanted to go in there and try to pull off some like heroic, I can do it. I'm that good of a designer. It was probably not going to work out. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what I got from that. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm excited for this conversation today, because I think that the situations that you explain in your article are, are very relevant. Like, a, a, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the things you're talking about were like, when you feel like you have your, your expertise, your experience, like gives you a gut feeling, like, should you follow that gut feeling and really uh, champion that, you know, knowing that there might be some risk or do you, opt for like quick wins to try to develop trust, even mm-hmm. if you know it's not necessarily like the thing that's solving the, the most impactful problem or maybe even the right problem and, and a few things like that. So like, what are your, I'm just going to assume that like maybe every mission or project requires a different strategy. Sure. But in 
the process you went through in thinking about this and writing this, like what is your thought on how designers should think about that and how to how, and identify the, the, what the needs are of, of, of a project mission or simulation and how, how should they sort of make those decisions about what approach they're going to take? I think part of it has involves making peace with the fact that if you're a designer today, some of your more impactful or valuable work is not going to come in mocks or comps or, or what have you prototypes. And so you might not be able to put it on your portfolio in the way that, you know, I guess we talk about putting it on, you know, take some screenshots, la la la, and people are going to get it. It's more of like a relationship and problem solving situation. And sometimes that's not going to look like an interface. It's going to look more in the roadmap. It's going to come out more in the roadmap or the Mm -hmm. planning or the strategy that your client or your team, like, cause I say client cause you run an agency, but like I'm in house, right? that kind of work. And so I've, I've, I've talked to some, some designers who are starting out or trying to get a job here and there and they, th- and they say, well, I can't work there cause I don't have anything on my portfolio or I can't show anything on my portfolio. And sometimes it's because it's NDA, but sometimes you get the sense that it's because there's something that like, they feel like the only thing that they can put on their portfolio is something that shipped. I felt that way too. Uh, I don't have a, great answer for it but uh i don't know if that answers your question it does it, yeah. it's actually something that i think about every day i didn't know the conversation would go here but i'm glad it did you know we were just talking about this yesterday trying to redesign our our website 95 percent of the work that we do is confidential uh, we can't okay. show it and even if it did like we're we're in a journey with these clients of ours for long periods of time so even if we were to show screen, even if we could show screenshots and stuff like that, it might only be something that existed for a moment in time. Mm-hmm. You're in this this world of continuous improvement and delivery, but you can talk about outcomes, right? The things that, like you mentioned, that like were important, like and that could be everything from like creating the ability to create stakeholder alignment or team alignment, you know, or improving this metric or this metric. There's a lot of other ways to talk about your work that is not just visual, but I don't know if it, I get it. Like I get that it's meaningful to me. Like I think when we're talking more, you know, when we're putting our narratives out there in the world, I think our clients gravitate to, well, what it was a problem and what were the metrics clients want to see a few visuals just to see if you can, (laughs) can execute some stuff. Yeah. 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 But I think all designers see the world differently you know, they, they, maybe they, maybe designers think that, that, that has more value. I don't know. We really like to make. Yeah. And so when we make a lot in school and we land that job and then we find out that we're not making or we are, but what we make doesn't get built or doesn't like, isn't real. I think a lot of people, including myself at some point or another, like go through this like phase of like, okay, so then am I a bad designer? Is this actually the job? What is the job? Or is is my team or my company bananas? It's like sort of like trying to put the blame on something or try like fix the situation because like we're trying to solve, you know, we're ultimately like problem solvers also. I think it's just part of where the industry is at right now. And I think it's okay. 
sort of like the long game. So like if, if you, if we extend the analogy or whatever, um, that one mission that you're running is not meant to save the world. It's just one assignment in a much bigger situation. And at the end of the simulation, what happens is the Klingons, so a different people come and shoot you down because you are rescuing people in a no man's land. So you break, you break a, like a treaty or something. So the situation is much bigger. You're in a war, you're in a conflict, it's political, whatever. But that's the big picture. You're just playing a small part and it's okay. You're not going to solve, like, you're not going to, like, end that problem or, or, like, bring peace to those people through your actions. And so I think there's a lot there that's similar to the industry right now. What I design this week, this sprint or whatever, it's not going to fix the, pro- like, the product. It's certainly not going to change the world. And if it does change the world, it's probably like in a bad way, <laughs> um, 10 years later, but, but it, it feels like it's so like big picture now, which is okay, but it can also be hard to think about when 10 years ago, what you made was very real. Mm-hmm. Like if you made websites or if you made layouts or if you were a web designer, um, or at least it would last a little bit longer. It would longer, last a little right? bit longer. Enough for you to like, let's say if you did want to put it on your portfolio, someone could go be like, oh, I'm going to Google this site. And then they would see, oh, yes, this is a yeah. real website. Yeah. Yeah. You are a real web designer. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets even more crazy when you think about the fact that none of the things that we make in, a digital, in, in digital design are actually real anyway. They're all like ones and zeros. It's not like a, it is real. But it's not like a physical thing. It's a it's a digital thing. That I think about that sometimes too. And like, you know, kind of freaks me out a little bit. And so then you have people who like, if you don't mind, like steering the conversation this yeah. way. Like they'll be like, well, if it's not real, if it's so like, if a mockup is so ephemeral, the only thing that matters is code. Mm, okay. So like, if you can't build it and show that it's real, then it's not real. But we can't, you know, that like just like opens another kind of worms because I know you don't. You You know that what? You don't code. (laughs) No, I don't anymore. I don't either. But like it's it's I don't know. This is like tangential. What I I meant to say is that even even great agencies these days, they don't necessarily build whatever it is that they're designing. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that in order for it to count you have to also build it. I also don't like, I don't think it, I think it it, it misses the point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, some projects and things that people work on are so complex that I think that it requires a, you know, a lot of different people to work on it. Like, obviously you can't deliver that thing to a customer or to a user until it is built, but it requires a lot of different skill from people to pull this off. Like not just in, development or design or in research, but also in just like simply getting stakeholders to make a decision or, you know, develop a strategy or something that where you can just do something at all, you know, it requires a lot of work, which is another thing that I don't know if a lot of designers think about, especially young designers, like how long it can actually take for corporate American and a team and in a big enterprise to just make a decision. Mm hmm. You know, it can be grueling, right? For some, for some people, I can see that it can be pretty grueling. Yeah. It definitely does get that way. Definitely does not happen over a two-week sprint yeah. in an agile environment. 
So let's get back to the Kobayashi Maru simulation. Could you set up the simulation maybe using <laughs> the example that you provide? You don't have to give any, any details that you want to talk about, but provide a simulation. And then sure. let's look at the scenarios and what might happen in those scenarios. And then let's talk about how you might coach people through those decisions or how, or how you think about them. Sure. Let's say that you are a designer and you're dropped into a project where engineering and marketing have essentially already decided on what's going to be the solution. Say that it's because a strategy or, or, or a direction that marketing needs to go in in order to, to, to deliver for the business. Let's say that it's engineering. They've already, they already had something built, but it's not performing the way it is. Mm. But so many people have already worked on it. It's out there. It works. It's the real thing. Mm-hmm. So you as a designer come in and you're supposed to like wrangle, deliver something. You take a look at the situation and you see, well, if my job is to provide value or a solution for the user and I see what I have to work with. I see that it's not going to work out. And as you get more and more experience, you kind of learn how to see this like a mile away, right? Mm -hmm. If you're starting out, or even if you've got like, if you're not starting out, but you you have a few years in, you might say, this is wrong. This is not user-centered. This is not going to solve the design problem. This isn't even the design problem. This is wrong. This is what it should be like. I have designed it in a mock-up. Please build this. And then you send it over to engineering. They're like, we can't build this. This is, if if you actually want to build this design, we're looking at two two fiscal quarters, say. In the real world situation where people's salaries have to get paid, that's not going to happen. And so, you know, you take it back as a designer. Maybe you iterate, move, you know, move this over here, move that over there. You try to like scope it down, but... it's still too much. That is what I mean by like a no-win design situation. Because let's say you're part of of an agency or or a new design department at a company where design is supposed to come in and fix everything. That's, that's a big burden to bear. And as a designer, you want to, you know, you want to deliver on that responsibility. You want to add value. You don't, you don't want to just push pixels. You also want to solve problems and, and contribute to what the company is doing. But you're in a situation where you're not going to win, where it, it, it's just not going to be feasible. And so then how do you act on that? Um, do you just put your foot down like this is this is just not what's what the right thing to do this is the right thing to do and I'm just going to throw over you know throw my mock-ups or my clickable prototypes over the the wall and let engineering deal with it you can do that and then when it gets built scope down to what is actually technically feasible it's not going to look anything like what you designed and you're going to get mad about that you're going to say well I didn't design that I designed the right thing or you could take the approach of playing a longer game and building trust or starting to get to know those engineers. Why are, like, they probably don't feel awesome about the situation. They're smart too. They probably know that the solution is not going to, you know, provide the value or, or, or what it is that, that everyone wants. What I've learned is that most people want to do the right thing and they know what the right solution is but they don't always have 
the ability or they're not in the situation to make it happen because life happens and Mm -hmm. things are not perfect. And so how do you work together and build trust to move forward together as a team? Because like in the simulation, it's really more like you're, 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 if you're a leader, if you're in a leadership position, you're like commanding a ship or you're part of that ship, right? Sometimes I feel like as designers, we think that design is more like, if we can extend the analogy, like Luke Skywalker, who like homeboy learns how to pilot an X-Wing for a few days and then he like saves the galaxy, <laughs> right? Like that's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and if you think about it, if you like, if you like chase that type of vision, you're going to peak because like homeboy peaked like a couple years after that. And then he's like, well, I actually didn't save the galaxy. I'm going to go over to an island and get old. He only, he only won like <laughs> one little battle. Right. Yeah. And that was it. Like, do you want to be like that? Or people are like, but, but you know, like design history, like was made um, accidentally. So I think about an example, the, the, the woman who designed all the icons for, for the, uh, the one who designed the icons for the Mac, the early Mac. Mm-hmm, yeah. I know who you're talking about, but I, her name Susan is Care, and I don't want to mess up her name. It's Got It or Care? K-A-R-E? Anyway, I, I can't recall, but I know exactly who you're sure, talking about. Sure, right. But it was an accident. And so it's like, do you want conti- to continue your design career? Because I'm assuming that most designers want to be designers for a very long time. Do you want to continue on your design career hoping for the accident to happen? Or do you want to live more in the present? And, you know, yeah. So that's really, it's really interesting. I think that these are the kinds of things that leaders should be talking to their teams about. It doesn't always like you, you can't always like catch everything, but like, I think these are the real important things to talk about. I'm not sure, but I think that, well, what I took away from your article is that, just personally, mm-hmm. is that, okay, there's probably, this is an example of a simulation that's probably done in the Star Trek universe, mm-hmm. a way to, it's done consistently as a way for people to evaluate people, but in in the relationship to design, like, uh, this, these simulations and missions are different, and there's probably there's probably different choices you should make depending on all of these different factors. Right. But I imagine that after going through this exercise that you've, you have a perspective on the way that someone might understand the prop, the challenge that's in front of them in in order to make the right call. What's your thought on that? I think we, I think you reminded me something about that, about something that I wrote was that, and one of the times I, I found myself in this situation, I was ultimately like the success of design, the, the team or, or my own output or whatever was measured by output. How much stuff you're moving to the done column or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How many f- things did I ship? Did I ship at all? If I didn't ship something, then it wasn't a success. If I shipped something, even if it was something terrible or something that even like theoretically could hurt the company, perhaps that was better than not shipping anything mm-hmm. at all. And so it's, it, it gets into this like weird place of like, how do we actually at the end of the day, think about design's value? 
And it's still very output-based, in my opinion. I personally have been able to move beyond that, even if it sucks, even if it puts me in the leadership friend zone in some ways. The leadership friend zone? The leadership friend zone. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Cause we still like, I don't know, this is like a, this is like a totally unrelated conversation, but yeah, when we think about who's fit for design leadership, we still like evaluate people based on who can make out, who can, who can make, who can build and put out the most, the fastest, the flashiest, and then you put them in management really like situations and they hate it because they don't make anymore. But as I see as individual contributors, I don't think we have figured out like a good way to evaluate people for what might make a good manager, a good leader down the line. Cause we're still looking at, are you shipping? Are you shipping? Are you shipping? Are you making? Yeah. Unlike you, I have never spent that much time. I've only had one in-house job. I've always been agency side. Mm-hmm. So I definitely understand what you're saying, but I'm seeing those situations like a number of them like spread out like all like for the sake of the analogy all these different simulations and i think that i don't know if like i'm sure everyone has like different solution for looking at this stuff but one of the things that we found that helps us is like we're looking at the organization the in-house team that we're working with for example as a design challenge in mm-hmm. itself and creating a creating the proto personas and the uh, engagement methods for those people. It's almost like you're designing the team and not the thing. Right. Like, yeah. oh, this person has this motivation. She, her boss wants her to output stuff. And that's how she builds trust to get budget for like making the thing. Okay, well, this course of action or this, this person is, you know, he needs to increase rate. Well, like, I don't know, like, because I think that like in our situation, like the the playbook is often different. And if you try to, deploy the same playbook to everyone, it, it, you'll end up with a lot of clean on wars, you know? Yeah, because you do product design and it every product is different. If every product was the same, product design is not like website design where you could kind of get away with like a couple of templates for restaurants or for hotels or this and that, and you can make it work. Um, these are business models. Yeah. 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 What is it that, what's the takeaway here? Like if, if, if you could kind of summarize like the, the biggest takeaway for, for you personally when, you're, when you wrote this or the takeaway that you would want the listeners to know about this Kobayashi Maru scenario, like mm-hmm. what, what, what would that be? The takeaway is that it's today, if you want to be a designer, if you are a designer and you want to have a good, rewarding, long career doing this line of work, I think it really would help to make peace with how chaotic the industry is right now because it's it's so young yet. Like it's still very young. And a lot of these things are like the way that we define success for design or designers individually, like how good you are. I think they're still modeled after old like older school graphic design, you know what I mean? But the the things that we make and it's not even that we don't even really make as much anymore as we do shape or influence. It's a long game. And so you have to like make peace with that being part of the job, part of your success. 
if you define your own worth and talent over how much you make, how much you can point and say like, I made that app, I made that, it's going to, it's going to (laughs) suck. It's just going to (laughs) suck. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Everyone needs to uh, read this article. It's called the Kobayashi Maru and um, you can find it online. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you where in just a second. I want to talk to you more like just (laughs) personally, like off the podcast, because I, a lot of your writings, I think, are really interesting. And uh, if you ever want to uh, get get a bite or stop by the studio, we can do more of that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for making time for coming here today and, and talking about this. I think it's a really awesome perspective, and it's it's awesome to challenge people to think that way. How can people connect with you um, on on the interwebs, and how how can they find this awesome article? My blog lives at desi dot blog d e z z i e or at my awesome Irish domain, Desi, D-E-Z-Z dot I-E. <laughs> okay. You have two URLs? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because that's just like, come on, you can get your name as a yeah, domain. Awesome. How, how Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah. How can, pe- can people, you have Twitter or anything that people can? I have a Twitter. I'm also the Desi at Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time on the Hus Podcast. Yay. Cheers. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at funsize.co. I'm Natalie, a partner and design director at FunSize, and thanks for tuning in.